I get it. No matter where you are right now, you are COVID-weary. Maybe you are waiting for the vaccine, watching others around you get it, while you feel like you're going to be the last in line. Maybe you've had to juggle homeschooling children and working from home at the same time. Or worse, maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe you just missed the companionship of another person, the comfort of a hug. Today we're talking about COVID again, but hopefully this time with a slightly different point of view. Hopefully, this podcast will give you a chance to reflect on how COVID has changed us emotionally and spiritually, and perhaps even make us think about how COVID will change every single one of us that have lived through this event. This is Spark Dialogue Podcast. You can find us at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or wherever you find your podcasts. Spark Dialogue tells the stories of science and technology and how they relate to our society, philosophy, culture, and how we are constantly redefining ourselves as human. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Hi, I'm John Van Sloten, and I am a pastor and part-time teacher and writer in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, who preaches a lot of sermons on science. We're almost a year into this pandemic. At the start of the new year, I don't know about you, but I was ready to say adios to 2020. But 8 a.m. on January 1st came, and the world hadn't changed. Obviously, we still have a bit to go to shake ourselves free. But yet, looking back, a lot has changed. Up here in Canada, when we uh, we hit the first wave back in March, um, uh, everybody, uh, I would say across the country, was uh, very compliant in terms of um, some provincial and national directives in terms of how to respond to the pandemic. And it was all new at the time. So I think everybody was a bit shocked and not knowing how bad it was going to be. Um, so there was a lot of uh, following the rules, uh, stringently following the rules that played out then. But now, uh, like a lot of places around the world, uh, the pushback, pushback uh, from uh, QAnon-er type conspiracy theory type folks, uh, very vocal pushback, um, but also because of uh, this COVID fatigue that we're all feeling, just a, a general kind of, I can't really do this uh, as stringently as I did in the past. And so uh, I think people are loosening up in terms of their response um, to what's being required. Um, ironically, when it most needs to be re required, you know, I watch with horror the stories of uh, the, the amount of travel that happens over Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, that's it, it's not happening here to that degree, but uh, I think that's been the major change. Um, and as I preached over these things uh, via various different angles over the last uh, nine months, um, yeah, a lot more vehement negative response to some of the things I've spoken about. I asked John what the situation is in Canada. The old adage that if Canada were a state, uh, part of the United States, then there would never be anything but a democratic government going forward. So I think Canada leans in that direction politically and insofar as, uh, you know, what I've read of U.S. news uh, more progressive democratic thinkers are taking the virus uh, a lot more seriously than, say, those on the other side. Um, yeah, I, most of the country uh, is willing to follow the rules. I mean, we have universal health care here. Um, there is a trust in that system that's been there for all of our lives. So I think people are willing to 
to go with what our politicians, more so at the beginning, uh, less so now for some, uh, are are saying. Man, this you know this individualism and this uh, uh, individual rights kind of worldview that uh, so defines and is the glory in many ways of of our American neighbors uh, is in this particular case problematic, right? Um, I mean, when I heard uh, somebody, I think it was in Idaho, who was dying of COVID, still, you know, on their deathbed, saying to a nurse, "This can't be happening. This isn't real." <laughs> then, uh, yeah, there is some kind of uh, self-defining individualistic. Uh, what's true is how I define it. Ness that that is more problematic, uh, definitely problematic for that person. Uh, may they rest in peace. But um, yeah, we we're a little more um, socially oriented and aware and uh, I think uh, willing to follow um, the direction of our public health leaders. It can't happen to me. I've heard that one before. Or this virus only makes you really sick if you're old. That seems to be a big one. Yeah, I just uh, had a texting conversation with uh, a 20, uh, I think she was 28-year-old young woman, a daughter of a friend of mine who uh, was a nurse, ironically, and uh, was not uh, big on uh, keeping the rules and uh, as they were set out in our province. And uh, and she ended up catching COVID and uh, and can now barely make it through a shift in the hospital. Has no energy energy to study for her MCAT. Um, uh, is is suffering with severe limitations uh, to her energies uh, because of her experience with this disease. And she's twenty eight. No co- comorbidities. Totally healthy human being. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she's with great regret now and remorse, um, saying, why, why didn't I listen? And those stories, as I've heard them around the world, to me are the most compelling messages, right? Peers saying, uh, I was where you were at, and uh, this has happened to me. Uh, we have to take this seriously. But even if you are young and you don't get sick badly, if at all, you can still pass it on to people who are more susceptible. You know, I think uh, people are trying, uh, Anthony Fauci, right, trying to connect it to uh, <clears throat> kids as uh, grandparents and uh, and uh, do it for them. Um, I, I like the the messaging that said, uh, as you, you know, when you're going to make a choice about how you're going to celebrate this past Thanksgiving, uh, understand that if you get this wrong, you may be planning a funeral at Christmas. Uh, to me, that was good messaging f- for everyone, but. And, and the long-term effects of this, I mean, we have no idea. Um, we, we read a little bit about these long haulers who uh, struggle uh, with lingering effects and loss of energy in life. Um, for a young person, that would be, I guess, especially problematic as opposed to uh, a septuagenarian. So, yeah, a few of those things, but graciously, right? You can't shame them into it. Um, you have to honor people's autonomy and free will. Um, but uh, yeah, how do you awaken a sense of doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you? That, that would be what I would try to awaken in them. We have all heard this before, though. We know, or at least we should know, that we should wear a mask, stay six feet apart from one another. But it's still hard. People are sick and tired of being apart. 
Wearing a mask makes it hard to breathe, and it's hard for people to hear you. This is where John steps in. He's a pastor, so he can offer, perhaps, a way to look at mask wearing and social distancing from a spiritual point of view. Yeah, I uh, wrote a piece for the uh, our local uh, newspaper, the Calgary Herald, about the spiritual practice of wearing a mask. I uh, wrote this uh, back in the spring and, and was making the argument primarily to uh, people who are part of different sort of major world faith groups, um, but certainly to uh, those who are part of uh, my tribe, uh, Christian uh, believers, uh, that Jesus uh, significantly self-limited for the sake of other people. I mean, the whole Christian gospel is all about this idea of a God who self-emptied himself of omniscience and omnipotence in order to incarnate, take on a human body. Um, and then, you know, when you think about God, um, the mystery of God, uh, taking on the limits of a human tongue, um, in our Christian story, God very, very much masked up um, uh, mask wearing as a sign of humility, a Christ-like humility. And so I went on to then talk about um, how our mask wearing uh, does image and reflect um, who Christ, who Jesus is. And then uh, that piece got published and uh, it got picked up by a whole bunch of uh, anti-maskers who then went to our church website and went crazy. Lots of vitriol, lots of uh, really ugly memes and accusations and judgment made there. Um, so I'm surprised that, uh, and it's not just for, I mean, every world religion has some version of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And yet our city had to implement a mask mandate in order to get uh, the two thirds of the population that is a part of a world faith to, uh, to actually wear a mask. I just, uh, a lot of incongruence to that. Um, again, uh, speaking about my tribe, we should be willing, easily be willing to do something as simple as wearing a mask for the sake of your neighbor, uh, be that a family member or literally your neighbor. It, it really should be a no-brainer. Wearing a mask also signifies something you may not have thought of before, our own ignorance, even of what is going on within our own body. Wearing a mask protects others more than it protects you. This means that we may be sick and we don't even know it. We may be transmissible, but not even know it. John points out that it's a sign that says, I don't know everything. And because of this, and even in spite of this, I'm willing to protect you, a stranger. We have no idea what we're carrying around and uh, what we could potentially pass on to another. We do not know everything about an invisible virus, right? That is plaguing our cities and our families and our lives. Um, we could be, or any one of your listeners right now could be inf unknowingly infected and potentially infecting others. Uh, I mean, you don't want to paralyze people and everyone lock their doors and, and, and stay in their room, but yeah, at least be humble enough knowing what you don't know. Um, science is good at this, right? Knowing what they don't know. Let's, let's be humble enough to, to cover up just in case. Looking back on the past year, I'm amazed to see how much things have changed. I don't even remember what it feels like to go to a restaurant with friends, or to jump in the car without carrying face masks and Purell just to do a little grocery shopping. 
Or how many people have I touched within the past year? Two. My husband and my child. We are not as in control as we think we are. Um, so that unsettles everything, right? Pulled the rug out from under all of our assumptions, all of our biases, all that we thought we knew. I think, uh, for me, um, opened my eyes to the giftedness of what was so often unnamed and unseen. Um, just the freedom, right? <laughs> to be close to another human being, to hug somebody, to be in community and not worry about social distancing. I mean, so much of my life, I was blind to the giftedness of it all. And so I, I think, you know, I hope and pray, but you're scared. It's it's not going to happen that when this, you know, we all get that needle in the arm and, and we're over this uh, six, nine months from now, people won't forget that lesson. Yet, what also amazes me is the resilience I see. Businesses, both national and local, completely reworked their strategies. Restaurants offered curbside pickup. Stores moved businesses online. Amazingly fast, stores of all types were selling designer face masks. We've all learned how to Zoom, and well. I did Thanksgiving over Zoom, and I went to Christmas parties over Zoom. People are resilient. They figure out a way to make things work. I am surprised, and many I speak to, of how deep I can dig into myself and still find enough usually for the day. <laughs> Used to always have uh, longer plans, and uh, but I, I've had to kind of take all my planning and future thinking and, and truncate it and keep it pretty close to home chronologically and just work on doing this day well, and then tomorrow we'll do the next day well. So I think uh, that kind of a humbling reorientation is good because I think that, you know, that we think we have as much control as we do is a fallacy. And nobody could have imagined this coming out of the blue like it did uh, 18 months, a year ago. And yet here we are. So, yeah, it, uh, we're, we're more human. Um, all of the cracks in our culture, socioeconomically, racially, I mean, that that is all rising to the surface is is no surprise because these are the people that have been left most vulnerable in many cases to the ravages of, of coronavirus and COVID disease. Maybe, hopefully, we, we don't forget that. It feels like, and gift isn't the right word, but it, this has been a very humanizing, showing us the importance of community-izing event. Um, showing us how rich we are in the world, all of the inequities. Yeah, up in Canada, we're, uh, we're kind of worried uh, about how long we're going to have to wait for a vaccine to show up. And yet, so many people in the two-thirds world who might be waiting longer than that, right, and who don't have the, you know, the super freezer capacity to handle some of these vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. Ironically, as more and more has been taken away, an awareness of and a gratitude for more and more of what we still have. So if I, if we can be people who've um, been forced to undergo that transition uh, going forward after this, you know, um, be the great generation for the next generation because of this, uh, I do see a gift in this and not to undermine anybody's suffering or those who've lost people or are dealing with lingering effects, but, and my hope and, and prayer as a pastor is that the humanizing 
influence of this pandemic will, I don't think it can be left behind by anybody. I think we're going to be more of the humanity we're supposed to be going forward. In the quiet moments of this pandemic, I have reflected. Sure, this has been rough for me. I have a small child at home, and there are days I want to pull out my hair because I can't take him to the library or to the park. I can't get a babysitter or send him to school like I used to. Yet, yet, I have a house, I'm here with my family, and I have a nice garden. I have a nice place to take walks every day. There are people who are living alone through this, trying to start college during this who don't know how to order things online, are living through this. There are kids afraid to go to school, yet desperately missing social interaction. There are people trapped in a house with someone who is abusive, or who can't rely on a free school lunch anymore. It's awakened a sense of gratitude within me, and helped me to learn something about myself. Since it started, uh, my... Uh... My adult son and his wife uh, moved into our basement temporarily uh, because of a transition in their life. But the pandemic has kind of had them down there longer than any of us would expect. And so our tiny little house has now got kind of double the occupancy. And uh, and uh, it's stressful, right? And uh, you, you can't let your hair down uh, as easily as you would were it just your nuclear family. And yet I'm finding... Um, that I can become uh, a bigger person and I can become smaller to make more space for others. And I cannot demand um, silence or, or room or, you know, uh, the best chair in the living room uh, all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a pretty egocentric guy who wants what he wants most of the time, that kind of person. And, uh, I just said to my wife last night, I'm, I'm, I am really thankful that I can become more godlike in these selfless, make room for others, lay down your life for other people, uh, kind of way. Um, and I, yeah, again, I'm hoping and praying that that is, that's a, a permanent change, uh, or that there will be long lasting, long haul or lingering effects of that good character adjustment in my life, uh, for the rest of my life. As a pastor looking at COVID through the lens of faith, John wanted to talk to people who were on the front lines, doctors, nurses, EMS workers, but he wanted to go beyond what they were doing, how they felt, and how they were tirelessly putting themselves at risk. He wanted to explore their spiritual motivation. And so thinking that uh, these frontline healthcare workers were, uh, in a way, reflecting and imaging God, I just reached out to doctors, nurses, and EMS workers and uh, interviewed them, um, asked them what they were feeling as they did the unique thing that they did in terms of the chain of survival, the healthcare system part that uh, they played. And um, yeah, listening to each of them, I saw these unique facets of, of, of the work that they do reflecting something beautiful um, in terms of the nature of God. So the emergency room doctor who told me about, uh, at that time, everybody was freaking out in the spring. And uh, he was this calming voice in, res in response to me. And I said, said John, we've, we've seen these kinds of viruses before. SARS in particular um, uh, played out here in Toronto, in, in Ontario. And 
um, we know what to do and we've, we've practiced this and we know how to treat these things. And, uh, so this comforting word of assurance that our healthcare system, uh, can handle this, uh, came from him. And then from a, uh, agnostic nurse was just starting to work with COVID patients. Uh, when I asked him, why, why are you doing this? What's your motivation for this? He started to quote back to me <laughs> the, who Jesus was and his selfless nature and how he laid down his life for his friends and saw everybody of, of, of as having inestimable value. And so he preached a sermon back to me, this uh, agnostic nurse, about uh, how it's Christ-like for nurses to be serving. Nurses in a holistic uh, get close to the patient, sometimes, you know, deal with messy things in terms of someone struggling through an illness in, in those kinds of ways, uh, entering into other people's lives in an incarnational way. Nurses were unique. And then the EMS worker, uh, a young woman who would just uh, end up going, you know, fully masked into people's homes, dealing with emergency situations, often seniors, she, she said, and um, just being a, a listening ear and a comforting presence, care for, in her words, a lot of moms and dads who'd spent their whole lives caring for their kids and grandkids now needing to be cared for themselves and just appreciating somebody who would stop and make the time and, and help them in their time of need. And so these, all of these different workers uh, and all of these workers together collectively imaging their maker. And so I wrote an op-ed for the newspaper and they printed it on the op-ed page, a pretty faith-based piece, ended it by saying that, uh, you know, none of us are going to be meeting uh, this Sunday, this Easter Sunday in church as a community. But I think Easter is being celebrated in hospitals around the world through all of these workers and caregivers laying down their lives and, and bringing healing and restoration to others in, in the way that they're doing. And so Easter moved from a kind of cloistered, uh, but, you know, within the church walls kind of an experience in my mind to this uh, in every hospital around the world who is, you know, taking care of the sick and following Christ's mandate to help the poor and to bring about restoration in the world. It, it was happening there. And to me, it was even more compelling. I'll get in trouble for this with our denomination, but it was way more compelling that it was happening everywhere in a common, gracious kind of way than just happening within churches on Sunday mornings between people of faith. This almost speaks to a certain point in human nature. Think of humans from an evolutionary standpoint. You can imagine humans want to protect themselves, their own health, their families, and their tribe. Now, here are people who are putting themselves at risk, along with their own families. Yeah, as a theologian, I go back to this Christian understanding that God made human beings, all of us, in God's image. And you know, the God of Christianity is is selfless and serving and humble in all the ways that we've been talking about, so that it shows up in people. People of faith and people of non-faith or agnostic faith, that it shows up in people knowing, knowingly or not, is, is no surprise. And I guess my thing is, uh, you know, really believing that, that uh, this big view of God um, making all people in that way, uh, I just can't help but go out and name it name it in a newspaper article, but name it to the people in particular. I got a call from that emergency room doctor after he'd read the piece in the paper and uh, heard a sermon that I preached on it and quoting him extensively. And he's driving, you know, into the ER for another long shift. And he said, John, uh, 
I'm just so thankful that you're naming this in my life and, and reminding me of all, you know, this bigger thing that's playing out and who I am in, in a more ultimate uh, sense. And uh, he was very grateful uh, for the fact that he and all of his peers were being honored uh, for who they were. I, I can't help but do that. You know, as a pastor, I, I can't think of a more loving way to honor those folks and, you know, really listening to them and letting them um, define what that image bearing, that unique image bearing thing is in them. And then, you know, to have the rest of the world kind of watch that and, and, and see that there's something sacred in what is happening in every hospital, every ER right now uh, around the world. And again, blowing the definition of where spiritual things happen and where sacredness takes place uh, far beyond any church or synagogue or mosque wall out into uh, a world, a universe, uh, a planet that, yeah, most world face would say God made and human beings that God made. Yeah, what if a new kind of spiritual awareness and an understanding of, of the goodness and godness of life could be something that continues here? This pandemic has been going on for a year now. Happy pandemic anniversary? In all seriousness, though, I think we can say that we've changed in some pretty profound ways. I think what the pandemic has done, because it just, it it's unrelenting and it won't let you go and you can't uh, squirm your way out of it or keep the spotlight on others in regards to how people are responding to it or can respond to it. Because of the nature of, of a pandemic, uh, I am being forced to own and be honest about and uh, step into um, this call to humanity being more humble, humanity being more selfless, uh, seeing the cracks and, and acting accordingly in terms of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, I'm, ha I'm, I'm having to practice <laughs> what I'm preaching, what I'm preaching, uh, more and, and I think in a more real and lasting, I, I, I'm convinced this will be a lasting thing in me. I'm, I'm having to speak out of these things, um, out of a, a more desperate, perpetually broken, never really knowing for sure, humble place. And that ironically is, is giving the voice, I think, and, and the writing even more authenticity and, and I trust and pray power, but it's, it's as though um, some of the disintegration that happens that comes with teaching or preaching or leading has been pushed down, pushed off the table. And uh, I have to be more real about my vulnerabilities and my asymptomatic nature, not just in terms of coronavirus, but in terms of so many other things that I don't know that I carry about and uh, that shape and infect my world. I've joined the human race Again, I think in a healthy and beautiful and life life giving way through this. So I, I think that's going to stick with me. My wife thinks it's going to stick with me too. She can't believe uh, that her husband, who's normally a certain kind of guy, has has had to change as much as I've had to. Everyone who has lived through this will remember this. We will tell our children and our grandchildren. 
Future generations will read about this in history books. People will not forget this for a very long time. But my wish is that it goes beyond this. I hope that everyone who has lived through this will remember gratitude. It's so easy to take little things for granted. Being able to breathe in deep, visiting a friend, having toilet paper always available at the store down the street. Hopefully this experience will help us remember that none of this is a given. There are people who can't breathe in the air because it's so polluted. There are people who feel true loneliness and isolation. There are people who can't afford toilet paper. This pandemic has called inequities, both in our own communities and worldwide, to boil to the surface. How long will it take all of us to forget these lessons? Personally, I hope we never do. Spark Dialogue Podcast is produced by me, Elizabeth Fernandez. You can find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or any of your podcasting platforms. Remember, if you're a patron of this podcast, to check out the bonus content on patreon.com sparkdialogue. I'll be back on April 6th with a new episode. I'll see you then. Background music you heard in this podcast is Transmutation by Kara Square, Ethereal Space by Snowflake, C-95 Routine Maintenance Mission by Javelinus, and Rescue Me Instrumental by Austin Sater. All of these songs are licensed under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, and you can find more information and links to these songs in the show notes at sparkdialogue.com.